Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 359. Stay in school, kids. Recorded May 19th, 2019, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, who used to have a name, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I need another new spiel. And these guys with me are Seth and Miles. Hey, guys. Wow, when you put it like that. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Sorry we missed you. Sorry you missed us. Maybe, hopefully, you missed us at least a little bit. We're highly motivated and yeah. ready to perform. Yeah, without the shtick, it's like, wow, that intro just fell flat, you know, without the whole the middle name thing. Um, well, it wasn't so much that. It was just like, bleh. Here's some guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm here's here. Some whatever. I don't care. Yeah, I'm here. It's and like, so are they. It's like <laughs> Mark was possessed by Eeyore. <laughs> As Dave Ramsey says, when Eeyore becomes your spirit animal. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, the topic, the, the title here uh, is, I, I called it Stay in School Kids, because yesterday I worked outside for about four hours, and it reminded me why I went to college, because working outside for four hours in the summer in the South is not for a fat old man like me. It's just not. So uh, I just, it was just doing, you know, my own household chores. I pressure washed the outdoor furniture and I, I oiled up the uh, the wooden furniture that, you know, it's things that have to be done annually before, you know, you can sort of start using your yard. We're going to spray for mosquitoes a little later on. But man, I, I worked like a Mexican, pardon my racism. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's just not for me. Uh, I want a nice air-conditioned job. So stay in school, kids. Otherwise, you'll be like me. So what happened to me was I woke up, and I wasn't able to mow the yard for the last two weeks because of the rain, and I piddled around long enough for the powerful round of rain to come washing through. And so doggone it, not able to mow the yard again this week. So next week, I will be, um, I don't know, using either a chainsaw or I'll crank my mower all the way up <laughs> to try to get through the yard. Yeah, actually, I was outside too, if you can believe that. Because we had our, actually, <laughs> this is going to sound funny. My Mexican friends who are contractors, uh, Miguel and Marcos, came over and painted the back of our house, which now led me to having to redecorate the whole back of the house part. So I've been doing that all day. Yeah, so uh, this Monday, a week ago tomorrow, I got a new roof on my house. Um, Yay. Um, I also stroked a fat check for it because this this wasn't an insurance thing. This was a 20-plus-year-old roof. But uh, roughly, the, I, roughly the entire population of Mexico, I, I don't know how many people it was, but it was many, many Mexican men, uh, possibly Honduran. But I, you know, they, they were definitely uh, south of Texas guys. Um, if they spoke English, they didn't speak English to us. You know, you know how that goes. Um, they they descended upon my house. They ripped off the old roof. They put the new roof on. They cleaned up and ran away like ninjas. There was never a, a, a hint that they had been here other than the new roof. They got all the nails. They got they cleaned up after everything. It was just an amazing sight to behold. It was like a tornado of workmen just came in and instead of taking the roof away, they put a new one on. It's uh, 
Those guys, my hats are off to people who do that and do it excellently every day. It's it's hard work, and to do it with such care and precision. Uh, props, free commercial to Crestmark Roofing out of uh, Douglasville, Georgia. Nice job, Crestmark. Well, I, I tell you what, I uh, snap. We had our roof done this week too. Twenty-something-year-old <laughs> house, complete re-roof, um, and it's all tile. So they took each tile off, terracotta tiles, and the same thing. Crew of, uh, of a great crew, great workers, um, all Mexican, and they came and did a bang-up job. Six days it took them, and yeah, like you, wrote a big check and. Uh, don't regret it because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like physiological level stuff. You need shelter. Right. Particularly when you're in the desert. And I'm sure in the same with the south. I mean, we get rained on, we get heat, we get the whole bit, and you rely on that roof. So, good. you know, I'm, I'm very happy they did it. You know, I'd mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we had the, you know, uh, automotive things and and there was some and that my emergency fund was depleted as much as i hate to to say this i actually had to go into debt for this roof uh, i wasn't able to cover the full amount i covered a good chunk of it uh so for the next eight months or so i'll be paying that off um and i just that hurts me that hurts me on a deep fundamental emotional level to have had to, to put that on a credit card but uh it's what the gift that keeps on giving that's yeah, the way it has to be sometimes but so, you know you could do it, so you got a roof over your family's head, so that that's worth the few extra bucks right. you'll be paying in interest. Yeah, and we tried to wait just as long as we could, but I mean, every rainstorm uh, uh, revealed a new leak, and it was getting to the point where we were like literally sticking pots and pans under things. It's, it's just time, uh, and it's not shoddy workmanship or anything. The roof was twenty five and a half years old. It was just time, um, but. Yeah, I, I I just couldn't put it off. I couldn't save up any longer. I had to. I had to actually go into debt to do it. So, wow. hurts, hurts they're my not heart. cheap. They're not cheap. No. I mean, no, they're not. You know, we're talking well, tens of thousands of dollars yeah. typically. Well, I didn't do the terracotta, uh, but uh, so <laughs> the shingles are much cheaper. But anyway, enough about that. Um, one other thing that I did just today, um, I watched so that you don't have to, mind you. I, I I took the bullet for you. I watched Bumblebee today, the prequel to the Transformers Michael Bay series. Um, and you know, I went into this knowing, not expecting, not you know, thinking maybe knowing it was going to be bad, uh, and it was, but not as bad as I thought it would be. There were moments of uh, enjoyability in it. Uh, there were times when the animation didn't totally suck. So um, you know. There you go. I watched it I so you don't have to. <laughs> Parts of it weren't total garbage. <laughs> have either of you seen that one? No, not I. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, the red DVD D that came in the mail. Um, and I watched it because I've seen all the others. I'm a completist, and I have to sometimes. Um, if I if I've seen all the others, if I'm invested in a series, I kind of have to continue on. Um. Yeah, I got. I felt that way with the Harry Potter movies. By the end, uh, I know some people just absolutely love those, but it was drudgery at some point. It was like I just have to do this so that I have I have done it. And so this was that was Bumblebee. I had just had to do it. Um, I mean, and the animation was better than the '80s cartoon, but a little, just a little. Um, certainly not up to the uh, the multi-billion-dollar budget uh, that the other ones 
had. But anyway, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't good. If it's on in the background, it's okay to leave it running. That's that's my review of it. All right. Man, that's... <laughs> gotta leave y'all i got a movie to watch (laughs) um and uh that's all i got i I got nothing else Uh, (laughs) so miles wants to complain about the cost of high education uh for a little while so uh for the next uh 18 or so minutes it's gonna be miles (laughs) ranting ready go okay um it's uh may and it's graduation time at least for some kids who go to uh, college. I shouldn't say kids. These are young adults. But um, it was the end of four years of uh, undergraduate for my daughter, and she graduated last week, which is why I wasn't on the show. Um, and it was very interesting. It was kind of bittersweet. Uh, on the one hand, you kind of see your kid going off into the world as an adult and having their own career and all that sort of good stuff. And then at the same time, it's kind of shocking because we, uh, my, my daughter graduated at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And so we went down to Tucson and uh, stayed overnight there because they had two large um, graduating ceremony. One was the, the graduation for all of the graduating kids of the year, which was done in the football stadium. It was huge. And the second was her business school, which would have been uh, a smaller group. So the first group, there were 10,000 kids graduating at once, 10,000. And that means the school population is somewhere around the 70, 80,000 mark. Um, it's overwhelming. I mean, you're sitting in the stands as if you were watching some mega football game and you're seeing 10,000 kids. Now, they can't read their names out. I mean, that would be, that would be uh, painful. But... And they were doing it by group and, you know, by school. So you got the science majors, you got the business majors, you got the arts and humanities people and, you know, and so on, engineering and so on. Um, and I don't have any problem at all with somebody who pursues higher education, you know, for whatever reason, uh, particularly if that's their calling. If they, you know, they want to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. I mean, this is, this is what you do. But what I saw there, was what was sort of the downside of it, the shocking side of it, was to do the math and to realize that each one of these 10,000 students that were graduating paid approximately $12,000 a year for in-state subsidized debt, you know, tuition or as much as maybe twenty-five dollars or $30,000 per year for out-of-state or foreign exchange students. And there were a lot of those. And then on top of that, you're paying another 10 or so in accommodation cost and then another three or four in books and ancillary costs and so on. I mean, this is a 25,000, <coughs> excuse me, a $25,000 a year uh, cost and these kids were there for four years. So do the math. That's $100,000 per child. So somebody's paying for that. And the statistics, when you look at it, I mean, we paid for my daughter's education. We saved up since she was a kid for this. This was just how we did everything. And I guess maybe it's a uber conservative approach, but as a parent, I didn't want to lumber my kid with any debt and I didn't want to take on any debt myself because I knew that at the time that she would go to college, um, I would be, you know, wanting to go into the, 
not retirement so much because I don't think I'll ever do that, but I, I, I would want to not work anymore, effectively. I had the choice, so I didn't want to carry around debt with me. Um, but what it was scary was that everybody else who was sitting there didn't have that choice. There was a default position that they all took on debt. So I kind of, I kind of looked at the whole thing and thought, well, here's the weird thing. We're, my daughter went to a business school. And so before they finish uh, their college, like six months before, these kids are out there shopping their resume around. They haven't got anything on the resume, right? They've been to college. They haven't worked. But they're shopping it around and, and the ones that get high GPAs and the high, you know, honours and so on, they're going to work for Goldman Sachs and they're working for, you know, Oracle and, and all these highfalutin corporations who are paying them good money. Um, but then they're all paying $1,000 a month in student loan payments. I mean, you think about it, $100,000 of debt and they want to pay that off over, say, a 10-year period, they're going to pay $1,000 a month in student loan payments. That's hard to accept, but everybody I was speaking to about it, I'm, I'm sitting around sort of like in shock, and everybody I'm talking to is looking at me like, yeah, that's just normal. What, what, what's so weird about that? Uh, well, that? That's my conversation. Yeah. That is weird to me. Is that weird to you? So this... It, it, it's weird that it's not weird, but it, it has become so in the, I'm going to say 70s, right? College was a, an optional sort of thing. Some people went, some people didn't, right? Uh, and, and, and before that, before the 70s. In the 80s, somewhere along the line, it just became an assumption that you would go to college. Everybody goes to college. It's just it's what you do. You go to college. Um, and then um, Somewhere along the line, a little after that, 90s, early 2000s, it was not only are you going to go to college, you're going to go to an elite college, regardless of the cost. And so this whole student loan thing, these government-backed student loans, essentially, the, uh, the not really the colleges, the banks were given free reign to write whatever they want to write uh, in terms of loans to people who have no ability to back those loans up. Uh, and you know, no, no collateral needed, just, you know, just whatever, write whatever you want. Well, the banks certainly enjoyed that because it's backed up by the government. The government will get your money one way or the other. And then the colleges were like, oh, you mean cost doesn't matter anymore? Well, degrees now cost a hundred thousand dollars. And I don't know why everybody seems to think that's okay, but somewhere along the line it was, oh yeah, that's, that's okay. It's not okay, people. It's not. No, it's not. I mean, what's your, what's your experience, Seth? How, how did it work for you? Well, okay. So my brothers are 10 years older and older than me. They were able to basically pay for college as they went working part-time through school while being a full-time student. Um, I was in that transitory period. If I would have done a four-year degree, I wouldn't have had a lot of debt. But, you know, I stretched it out over nine and a half years, some of that wasn't in school or whatever. And I really only got student debt my last year. So for one year of college, and by then I I had had no job, so I was able to had a friend in the financial aid department. He was able to push it through using that year's finances. And so I had like basically $12,000 of debt for one for my last year of school. And, you know, it took me several years to pay that off because I was the poor, lazy, don't really want to work, but I kind of have to kind of person. And so I finally got it paid off. But, you know, my my degree has helped me in the sense of I have a degree. <laughs> 
And, you know, in unfortunately, in a large section of today's job market, you, you've got to go through the gatekeepers to get to the interviewers. The interviewers could care less about the degree. They want to know, can you do the job? But the gatekeepers like to see the degrees or the certifications if you're in an IT field. You got to get through them to get there. And so it's in one sense, it's the way it is. But, you know, I would love I would love to be able to lay all of this on the government and all of this on the education system. But the family is the is where the responsibility for educating the children lie. Now, you know, hey, you want to work, so you're choosing to outsource that to the government or private school or whatever. But it's your job to teach your children about finances. It's not the government's job to teach your children how to balance a checkbook or how to, you know, pay your bills at the end of the month and how to save for retirement. And the fact that people don't know how to do that and are okay with not knowing and choose to pass that along to their to their children, they are just throwing their children out the door and say, here, I got screwed by the world and you're going to get screwed too. And so, yes, is the government exacerbating the situation? Yes. Is the private, you know, degree factory, you know, give us all your money and we'll let you have this piece of paper. Are they part of the problem? Yes. But most people don't need a college degree to do their job. And most people, if they knew better, if they understood basic economics and basic personal finance, it wouldn't be the way it is. So, it's not the government's fault, but they do have part of the blame. It's not the college's fault, but they do have part of the blame. It's the family's fault for not caring enough about their kids to teach them that. So that's easy for me, the single guy, to say, and there's some gasoline on the fire. Go, Mark. Uh, Miles, do you have any commentary first? No, I, I thought you, you said that very well, Seth. I mean, I, that was kind of my position that I would, I would add to that something that, you know, I was kind of noticing this week in the news and so on. I mean, there was all this economic news about trade wars and China and all that stuff, which is a whole other topic. But one thing that kept coming up that I was hearing was that um, economic growth is based on uh, GDP and GDP is a factor of how uh, productive, you know, the economies were. And the one thing that was slowing down certain economies and making them fall prey to these trade deals and so on was um, debt, that the countries were carrying a lot of debt for, and the people were carrying a lot of debt. And I started realizing that all sounds great theoretical. What does it really mean? And then I saw it with my own eyes face to face because the kids that were coming out of the college with the $100,000 debt I had mentioned before about how a lot of them were seeking employment in these corporations and, you know, going off and doing that sort of thing. Um, the problem was a lot of them had no choice other than to accept it. And what that meant was that they were looking down the barrel of carrying around this debt from the day they walk out of that college with their permission slip, you know, with their degree. They're going to walk into the world carrying around this $100,000 of negative debt or negative net worth and they've got to recover from that. And but the, let me let me just interject there. One of the things that bothers me is that people are getting a hundred thousand dollar degree for a thirty thousand dollar a year job. Right. Right. There's, there's nobody's paying any attention 
to that. You know, if I'm going to go to Stanford and spend $100,000 to get, um, you know, an engineering degree, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be working at Google in in six years making $200,000, that's an investment worth making. If I'm going to be a social worker um, that I will never in my career make more than 50 grand, there's no reason to spend $100,000 on a degree. People aren't making good choices about what schools they go to. Um, That's a big part of the problems. Yes, schools are charging way too much money, but uh, your assumption that it's just the way it has to be, I reject that assertion. There are much cheaper ways to go to school, and people are just choosing not to do it. Well, here's my fear with all of this. If if you leave college with $100,000 of debt, you immediately have been shackled. You have no choice other than to go out and take any job you can get that makes money to pay this debt. You don't get to go and pursue your passion. You don't get to invent anything. You don't get to take risks. You are going, you know, you are lumbered like carrying around a boat anchor on your back. You can't take on the risks. And the thing is that society progresses. We all evolve when people take risks. The Google boys took risks when they left Stanford and started Google if they were carrying around a half a million dollars of college debt on their backs, would they have been able to do that? I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe somebody funded them. But you, that's, a, that's an outlier case. The average kid carrying around $100,000 of debt can't walk into the world and go, I'm going to invent the cure for cancer. No, they can't because they've got debt. Before they can do anything, they've got to go and get a sucky cubicle job and pay the debt off. And 10 years later, if they've got any energy left, maybe then they can go and find out that they they don't want to cure cancer anymore. They're just used to being in the cubicle job and they just want to continue that that paradigm. See, that's the weird thing. My daughter got offered two jobs while she was at college for two corporations. She turned both of them down. And she, because she has no debt, has chosen to go out and build her own digital media firm. She's gone out to start her own business from the day she left college, and she's already got her first two clients. And this from day one. Now, I'm, I'm happy that she wants to follow, I guess, in my footsteps of being a contrarian and, and going against the grain on everything. But the fact that she could do that was because she wasn't saddled with debt. None of her friends can do that. They're all going to go into a systemic job that is pre-programmed with how much holiday time or how much vacation time they can get, what their sick leave is, who's going to pay their health insurance. These are just, you know, it's like it's like this factory, rinse and repeat, push them out into the corporate world, saddle them with debt, and they won't go out there and do anything creative. And I, I really fear for what society is going to look like in 10 or 20 years if we don't have any more Steve Jobs and Google guys and Zuckerbergs who broke the mold and took the, I don't have any debt, I'm free to go and create the next whatever. That's what scares me. Seth? No, I mean, I totally agree. It's, you know, like I say, education begins at home and you know it's your your job as a parent again this is the single guy with no children um is to prepare your children to go forth you know you're like you know they're like an arrow you they take them out of the quiver you aim the bow and you shoot and but you've got to train them i mean 
you know, there's a, there's a, there's a mentality among, I see it. I see everybody has it, but it's really pronounced in the, uh, people younger than me. You only live once, you know, the fear of missing out. So I've got to have this shiny bobble. So I'm used to taking on debt for that. So then, you know, what's some more debt for a college, uh, you know, and then you you're stuck doing this. And then because there's no integrity, you're just going to go for bankruptcy on that. And I don't know. It's just, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of rambling. Well, you, you mentioned the I word integrity. Where's the integrity on the part of the lenders to just say, no, 18 year old student, you cannot have a hundred thousand dollars. No. Where's, where's the integrity there? I know. I don't disagree with that. But, you know, just because if just because something is offered, you don't have to take it. You don't have to go to, you know, nobody in my job interviews, nobody was like, oh, your degree wasn't from Yale or it wasn't from Stanford. They were like they just like degree check, right. you know. And so, you know, don't it. It, it's that you only live once. Oh, I've got to go to this stupid university that erg. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I don't want to blow up on it, but it's just so stupid that these universities and the education system is not the same education system that people older than me went through where they taught you sort of life skills now they indoctrinate you with philosophies of what to think and not how to think and so you get out and you're unprepared to deal you're you know it's like they mold you and then on the way out the door they put this leg iron around you and say here carry this ball and chain around and now show me the power of your ideas and you're like oh crap what happened to me and so so here's an interesting question is anybody incentivized to fix this fix this broken system um because i mean everybody's winning the the universities are making more money than they've ever made before the banks are making more money than they've ever made before uh the government is you know uh collecting taxes uh on on all that money that's going here and there and everywhere um everybody wins uh i mean to have good little slaves of the society you know is is a is a good thing for everybody but the slave uh and so i i think the problem is that seth i mean you've you've got until the slaves stop feeding at the trough there's there's no incentive to fix this there's a problem okay so this is an american problem uh, it's not a world problem because in other parts of the world, and I grew up in Australia, so I can only speak from that, but I can also speak more to the European angle of this as well. Um, the degree isn't considered the gateway to the middle class. A degree in most other places, in um, certainly in Australia, is not something that is assumed you will go and do. It's, it, if you've got a hard degree need, like a doctor, a lawyer, an architect, a veterinary surgeon, you know, somebody like that, yeah, you're going to go get a degree and they assume that and you go into college. But if you're not any one of those groups, the, the, those sort of, you know, hard degree industries, you don't go to college. You go out and get an apprenticeship. You go out into the workforce and you work as, as quick as you possibly can. Um, it's the same in my experience from what I've seen in Europe, uh, in the UK, 
it, the, the American assumption of a degree is the minimum entry level standard to go and get a middle class job is a problem because while we're now reducing our ability to be creative and take risks and do all this other stuff, the other countries out there don't have that burden. And they can go and invent anything that they want at their leisure without having to worry about the fact that the kids are carrying around a lot of debt. And that scares me again because I see this as a, a lack of American uh, opportunity. Well, there, there certainly is opportunity there because, you know, Miles, between you and, and me, we have paid enough for tuition to uh, laborers. In the last couple of months, right? So <laughs> yeah, there, right. there is there is a living to be had uh, that doesn't require a degree. You know, I paid um, the contractor who hired those hard workers lots and lots of money, as did you. Um, now I don't know that those workers are seeing that, but the the contractor certainly is. Um, I I have spent many thousands of dollars very recently uh, on automotive repairs. Again, that is a uh, quote-unquote unskilled uh, job there. Those guys can can make lots of money. Um, We we in in the U.S. have uh, declared war on work, to use a phrase from Mike Rowe. We've decided that work is a bad thing. Work is things that other people do. I even joked about it coming onto the show, right? I went to college, so I didn't have to work. Um, And I think that's part of the problem too we disdain things other than the intellectual uh and the things that require you know doing something that isn't you know college material but there's tons of money out there to be had to do that well you know one interesting analysis i did when i was sitting down trying to work out you know to help my daughter decide whether or not she was going to take a corporate job or whether she was going to go out on her own is we sat down and looked at it from a purely financial monetary sense, like spreadsheet it out. How much money are you going to make if you work for Corporation X and versus how much money are you going to make if you worked for yourself? And it's a pretty simple analysis. But wh- one of the things that's very interesting about doing that is that I had to explain to her something that she was never taught at college, and that is how much money you make is how much money you keep not how much money you get in your paycheck that you don't get to keep. Like I'm talking about gross, not right. uh, sorry, you know, net, not you know. And they weren't thinking like that. So I said, well, you know, if you work for yourself, there's all these tax incentives that you're going to get. You can deduct all these costs which you couldn't do if you weren't. You can you can do this sort of thing. You can do that sort of thing. You can you're in a bit more control. You've got more levers you can pull to enable you to manage your financial life. If you work as a W-2 employee, they just take the tax out of your paycheck and you get what's left. So let's look at what's left as your starting point and then let's work out you know, from that, what, what are you actually going to keep? It worked out that with a $50,000 job, um, what she gets to keep is, is half of that, in effect. By the time you take out all of the costs and taxes and everything else, it's like it's so eroded down. So I sat down and worked out what the poverty level was and what the cost of living and various. And it seems to me that anybody who comes out of college with a four-year degree and a $1,000 a month payment on a $50,000 salary, which that's a lot of money. I mean, consider it. That, that, that's, that's good money for your first job. 
Yes. But even even with that, you take out the taxes, you take out the payments, you're living close to the poverty line. You yeah, just that's, went, that's half your take home pay. To do that. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who went to uh, goes and gets a regular job at, at Walmart or, or whatever, nothing against that. I think that's fine, you know, but if they get a regular job at, at $12, $14 an hour, maybe they're an assistant manager or they're working hard or maybe they have to get two jobs or whatever. By the time they actually get to keep that money because they're not saddled with debt, they actually probably have the same net worth or net value as the college kid coming out saddled with the debt and the $50,000 a year job. So – why did you do four years of – why did you lose four years of your life, four years opportunity cost going out there getting that degree? When are you going to get that back? Is it going to come back when you're 30, when you're 35, when you're 40? Are you going to be on your way to a $250,000 a year income? Uh, chances are and statistics would tell you no. You're probably not. Um, we've got to change the formula and we've got to change the perception. And the perception is a degree is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But not having a degree and working hard and earning money is also okay. And there's nothing wrong with it. And it should be celebrated as much. This bubble has to burst. It, it can't continue. We will look back in some amount of time. I don't know if it'll be 10 years or 50 years. We'll look back at this point in, in history and see it as the education bubble. Um, and it will burst in the same way that the dot-com bubble did, and education will go back to being you know, uh, a, a, a thing that is attainable uh, by the masses. Um, you know, this, this grand experiment of educating every person or making education available to every person is, is certainly rare in history. Um, You've you got to go back to the Library of Alexandria before knowledge was available to everybody you know it's it's been it's been hoarded so um it's a grand experiment but yeah the the idea of making education a business um i think we'll see that trend is going to fall apart it's it's not going to be sustainable because you know they're they're raping their own customer base to the point where they can't be customers anymore that's right preach it <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, it's part of a there, – there are some basic sort of fundamental things that we need in, as, as humans. You know, one, one is education, another is healthcare. These are sort of basic fundamental things and we are just missing the boat on these things. All this, I had dinner last night with a, a guy who's an orthopedic surgeon and head of uh, a group of orthopedic surgeons here in Phoenix, one of the top guys – and we were just having having dinner and talking about it. And he was telling me that he and his family pay nearly $2,000 a month in health insurance. I'm like, dude, you're the head of the Orthopedics Society of Arizona or whatever. Why aren't you getting employee discount here? I mean, what's the deal? $2,000 a month for health insurance? And he's just, he just says, yeah, yeah, that's just how it is. I see, it's not how it is. Yeah. Well, that's that's another avenue where the uh, the third party payer model is ruining the model. Yeah, um, it's the same sort of thing. Jinda in the chat room comments that some college degrees are worthless. I, that's absolutely true. I would I would wager that the majority, fifty plus percent of college degrees, are in fact worthless, other than to check the box that says I have a degree. 
Uh, I have been in, in two situations in my career as uh, a low-level hiring manager where I was unable to hire the person I wanted because that box wasn't checked. Whereas uh, my degree has nothing to do with the work I do, but it checks the box. Um, so yes, some college degrees are worthless in the thing that you're supposed to be able to do, but they check a box. Is, is that where you, maybe that's where you change it. You change it at the HR department. If the HR department starts to relax that and to say, no, you can have years of experience as, as the alternative to the degree, maybe we can change this. But you see, that's how come you bring in a new, you, you want to make money as a consultant, just go and recommend business practices to everyone. Well, this is what business practices say. Business practices say this, business practices say that. You need to adopt that because that's business practice. You need to stop doing that because that's what everybody else is doing. So I don't want to take the risk of hiring someone who's not qualified because they sound qualified. I've covered my behind because you see that they have that college degree. I didn't my job check. So the HR person, they're not going to take a risk. And so the job doesn't get done well because, you know, Jack Tradesmith, who has the experience, but he learned it because he didn't go to college because he came from a poor family. He got a job and learned the system from the ground up. Whereas, you know, Jack scholarship over here, he's not touched a tool in his life, but he's been through classes where supposedly they went over the manuals, but he gets the job because he knows it and he's got proof that he knows it. Whereas the worker is like, you know, and then he hires the worker for half of what he's worth because he makes the bonuses because he went to college. So yay, America. <laughs> Sorry. I, I really, I really do like living in this country. I know it doesn't always come out on the podcast, <laughs> but it's still a great country to live in. All right. I think we have explored that topic, uh, far more than we thought we would. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's interesting that, our, our discussions, you know, I began talking about, you know, debt and, and, and we've sort of swirled around that drain. Um, I, I, be, I was talking about it before the show started. I began reading a book Miles recommended, The New Confessions of an Economic Ter- a Hitman. Uh, and, um, you know, that fundamental premise there is that if you can force people to get in debt, you can own them. Uh, that's, you know, super simplified. Uh, but it is interesting, the power of debt uh, and conversely the power of not owing anyone anything uh and yet our entire society i mean i had a of course it was a salesman but uh he he told when i told him i don't i don't borrow money you know he was trying to push me on some financing um he said well the world runs on debt and and he believed that that wasn't a sales tactic he truly believed that and i'm afraid that most of the world certainly the western world absolutely believes that statement is true yeah, I I, yeah. I reject it personally, but that's me. It's funny though because it's very hard to find people who share that that thought process. I mean, it's like if, it, I, if I you know I can't even have a conversation with somebody without feeling like I'm the the odd one out. But it wasn't two generations ago. That is a recent development, right? If you go back just fifty years, eighty years, you know, um, debt was the anomaly. Uh, it's it's a recent development that we've got to make an undevelopment. 
we've got a lot of change to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Seth, to your point, it begins at home, right? My generation's lost. There's nothing we can do about it. But I can make sure my kids don't fall down that well. Or I can try. I can't make sure, but I can try. Right. You know, and part of it also goes, again, you know, Dave Ramsey wisdom here, but I don't know if it was Dave Ramsey, but, you know, get your money working for you so that you're not working for your money. You know, quit, you know, one of the reasons that I have a five-year-old phone is, you know, I mean, granted I'm cheap, but I would rather invest because you know i can still text i can still make phone calls and my podcast player still works on this phone so what do i need another one for there's some nice features that aren't on it but those aren't features that really impact my life so i don't who cares if i'm missing out on the latest and greatest that's not a big deal for me so i would rather take some money put it up saving and watch how much money my money made this month it's the most i've ever made in one month and i'm like and it's sad that how small it is but it's the victory and it's the momentum of moving forward with that and so you know hey do i have debt yes am i slave to the man yes but am i as much of a slave as i was last month no so yay team (laughs) all right and in sticking with the uh theme of actually not at all uh seth did have one news story that he wanted us to talk about and i want to go ahead and and bring that up because uh, i think it's interesting uh basically um now the supreme court it's been through a couple of different courts now and now the supreme court says in fact apple is a monopoly and can face penalties therefore well actually it just says that the lawsuit against Apple for the App Store monopoly can go forward. So kind of the okay. equivalent of a grand jury indictment saying, yes, there's something here, but you know, we're not saying you're guilty, but we're saying there's something fishy going on. So they ruled 5-4 that the app, Apple app buyers could sue the company for allegedly driving up prices. So, you know, now we get to have that lawsuit work its way. And you know, hey, this is a great tactic by the Apple legal staff, which is getting paid anyway. Lawyers got a lawyer. So So, you know, go out and round one went to the plaintiffs. Round two, now we get to fight round two. So long way from over, you know, lots of, and even if Apple loses, it'll still be a long way before you get your $2.97 back. So, yeah. So basically they're, they're saying that the Apple app store creates a monopoly and, and having monopoly, this is a misconception that a lot of people have about uh, American law. It is not illegal in the U.S. to have a monopoly. It is legal to abuse a monopoly position. Um, and so the lawsuit says that Apple having a monopoly in the form of the App Store, they abuse that position by uh, jacking up prices unnecessarily, uh, by uh, taking uh, more cut uh, of the revenues than, than they should. Uh, and so that's the thing, that they abuse their monopoly position. Nobody's saying that you can't be a monopoly. They're saying you can't abuse your monopoly position. And so this will be interesting to see what happens. That's going to be a much harder thing to stick. It's going to be a much harder thing to say you abused your position because um, abuse is a, is a pretty relative term. But I'll be interested to see how it works out. It all depends on if they can get it in the East Texas uh, yeah. <laughs> Circuit Court. If, if it gets to go there, then Apple better just come up with a settlement offer. 
Because, you know, Microsoft was in this same boat 20 years ago, and it was all about the Microsoft monopoly. And nobody disputed, well, actually, Microsoft disputed uh, that they were a monopoly. Uh, from the legal point of view, the, the, the courts just conceded that Microsoft held a monopoly position. The argument was, did they abuse it? And so they fought for 20 years, and I don't even know what the answer was. Nobody does. It just died on the vine because people got tired of fighting it. And this may be the same thing. In the year 2041, we may be talking about the fact that there's still litigation going on against Apple. <laughs> yeah, by the time that lawsuit was settled, nobody even used that version of software anymore. Exactly. So, and yeah. And that's not an unusual tactic when when the courts are... are uh, honing in on you for a practice you just change your practice i mean it would not be um out of the pot realm of possibility for apple to just shut down the app store and say you go directly to to developers now uh, yeah but you know they won't do that because that's what they're they're priding themselves on you know the experience and if they, they go directly to developers then they won't be able to maintain that sandbox but it wouldn't be out of character because in the original iphone there was no app store there were no apps steve jobs was adamant that we don't need apps we just need the web and so they could they could chalk it up as saying we're going back to our roots and it could it could actually be a pr boon for them Hmm. Wouldn't that just empower Google, though? Because now the entire index to everything available for your device or your technological experience has to be routed through Google Search. Well, no, sideloading is a thing. Um, no, so, but I mean to, to find the app to sideload. Oh, to a app. Google Search. Interesting. So it empowers the search company. Mm -hmm. hmm. So maybe Apple will, will flip that and become a search engine instead. Well, yeah, like if, if I... Okay, I don't use the Apple App Store. I have a Mac I'm running right now, but I didn't use the App Store to find anything. But if I was to look for, I don't know, a video editing software, yeah. I could go to the App Store, type that in, and it would give me a list of ones I could easily download. Exactly the same thing could be done on Google. One routes through the Apple App Store and keeps me in the nanny state, and the other one I'm out in the Wild West, and good luck to me, and I'll see what I find. But one way or another, it's either going to be Apple or Google. There's no third option. Alta Vista's still out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Bing has a search engine that occasionally produces results that contain part of what you were looking for. I mean, you're being <laughs> off you're being awfully hard to say that's the only option out there, Miles. I and, you know, yeah, Facebook wants to be a search engine. Amazon wants to be a search engine. Everybody's trying to figure out how to keep Google from having any of their data because Google is scary with the data that they have of you. I, th that's a strong statement, uh, and we could easily crawl down that rabbit hole, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay strong, and I'm going to resist the bait. Trying to fan the flames. Come on. We'll, Just do what you said. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but for now, I'm going to say, hey, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right. So this was a cool uh, little fact I came across. On May 17th, 1991, so the first web server in history is set up. Tim Berners-Lee, I have to look up to see how this is at least the second, if not third time, he's been uh, 
feature here. Set up a web server on a next cube at CERN, the European Particle Physics Laboratory in Geneva, Switzerland. The launch of this first web server is considered the public release of the World Wide Web. And just some specs on the next cube, 25 megahertz processor, 16 megs of RAM, megs of RAM, expandable to 64, hard drive of 400 meg, and you could get a SCSI drive attachment of 1.4 or 2.8 gigs. So that's the spec of the first web server in history, and that happened this week in history back in 1991. And now, Mark, back to you. And I'm going to go to the archives of my dusty brain. I'm not even going to Google it. S SCSI is small computer serial interface. The internet yeah. will let me know if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the the next cube. That's uh, that's where Steve Jobs went, right? He went to next when mm-hmm. Apple fired him. It was a thing. Uh, yeah. The, the the web. This thing that we <laughs> we we exist on, right? This whole podcast. None of this would be a thing without the web. Um, and it's only 27 years old. Yeah, the, the web was the killer app for the internet. It was. People think of it as maybe email and so on, but they forget that really the web was the thing that made the internet the internet. Yep. All right. Um, I am going to bring my own show-ending link tonight. Seth can still bring his, but I'm going to bring one as well. And since... Um, Seth is about cats and the internet loves cats. Uh, I'm going to go a little more, a, uh, um, esoteric and only half the internet likes guns. Uh, but I just want to, um, if you are a guitar player and if you like guns or if you like guns, either or one of my new favorite YouTube channels is called guns and guitars. Dan Thompson, uh, is the guy. And specifically, the video I'm linking to is a thing that I tried out just today in church uh, uh, at his recommendation. It's a set of $50 um, wireless guitar units. If you've played guitar for any amount of time, you realize how ridiculous that statement I just said was. $50 for a wireless system. But this wireless system not only uh, is a guitar system, but it has it's the only one I've ever seen that has a built-in headphone amp. So I used one for my go from my bass to my pedal. I used another to go from the the personal sound mixer, the Avium, to my headphones. So I was completely wireless. I had my a wireless mix and my wireless guitar for a hundred bucks. Amazing. And it, I tried it this morning in church. They ran for the full like three and a half hours. I was there on about half a charge, um, and it was I'm not going to say flawless quality. It was good quality uh, for a hundred bucks. So. Uh, full credit to Dan Thompson for turning me on to it, uh, and he's got uh, links uh, to the stuff if you're interested, plus a uh, 10% off code at that video. So, Dan Thompson, Guns and Guitars. Check it out. Okay. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you just flicked my memory. Um, I was watching uh, just some highlights from the Warriors uh, Trailblazers game, and they were talking about the post-conference, and some idiot ask the coach of the Portland Trailblazers what he thought about a situation where a kid brought a gun to school. I mean, I thought, you idiot. I mean, if there's one question that doesn't belong in a post-game basketball conference, it's that. And, you know, and he's just like, don't know what happened. I'm not going to comment. And apparently he figured out he was supposed to say something because nobody would ask another question. And he said, well, guns don't belong in school. Everybody knows there's something wrong. I was like, dude. 
many days, I went to school with a shotgun in the back of my truck and ammo with it. And I wasn't alone. You know, I mean, I remember in class, our teacher, hey, anybody have a knife? He wasn't trying to get us in trouble. He needed to cut something. And I mean, you know, everybody pulls out their little lock blades and I'm the weird guy. I pull out my 16 function Swiss Army knife. So, you know, that's what a difference a generation makes. You know, I mean, I tons of us had guns in school. We could have started a militia out in the parking lot. You know, Red Dawn would have been a fight for Edgewood High School. So, if we could if we could have made it to the parking lot, it would have been it would have been battle on. And, you know, so just society has changed. Uh, you know, men used to be men. And I'm sorry, I just had to throw right. that little rant in. Well, as long as you're talking, what do you have to for your link of the week? Okay, this I came across this, and it's kind of in one way, it's kind of genius, and in another way, it's like uh, you know um, Garfield minus Garfield. So this guy has taken the Garfield comic strips, and he's taken Garfield out of them. So you just have John reacting to nothing, and it's just like I can't tell if he's depressed or if he has a schizophrenic associative disorder or something but you can go back and it doesn't seem like it's updated as much but you i clicked on the first comic and started going forward and i mean i'm just like oh my gosh he's a depressed guy on prozac or something imagining a cat talking to him garfield minus garfield at garfield minus garfield.net uh give it a try it's it's kind of funny and anyway just garfield minus garfield that's my link of the week (laughs) That is hilarious. It really is. And I loved Garfield as a kid. It was my favorite. I used to go to the library and and get by the uh, check out the Garfield books. Uh, and this is <laughs> of course he had to cherry pick them, but this is awesome. Uh just the John saying random things to himself. It's awesome. <laughs> and and like if you go back to the first and start going forward where it's like you know he's like talking about i'm gonna ask somebody out and then he just kind of sits there and so anyway it's just <laughs> it's fun yeah, the one i'm looking at right now february 13th john says i've done things in my life that i regret and then it's just two more frames of him sitting there <laughs> it's so avant-garde it's awesome thank you seth that's a good one i try All right, and this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Do you like guns? Do you like guitars? Do you like debt? What what are you like? Do you like weird cats? Uh, You can let us know by going to elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA. Fill out the form there, and uh, that will get priority in my inbox. Or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com. Or if you'd like your voice to appear right here alongside ours, you can dial 559-IMOP and leave us a Google Voice message, and uh, we'll probably play it right here on the show. So uh, let us know what you think. Uh, Something... The, the the people who are who are good at this stuff say that you need to ask a question give a a, a command and then say something controversial so c- pretend i did all of those things um and then we'll get some response <laughs> guys any final words of wisdom before we say good night i got nothing yeah okay <laughs> nothing fit for print
Well said. All right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. Uh, Jinda, as always, thanks for joining the YouTubes. There are a few of you out there. There's like a dozen or so of you that watch this every week. Uh, you know, Maybe show up in the chat room at elementopi.com uh, slash live uh, along about uh, 7.30 p.m. on a Sunday night and join us. And um, I guess we'll see you next week if we decide you're worth it. Um. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Uh, that's just kind of the 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 tone of the night has been meh whatever all right so uh hopefully we'll be back next week i'm gonna quit talking before i dig the hole any deeper and remember what you like <laughs>